0: Thanks, Tracy. We, uh, well, if you raise somebody from the dead, would be, your first word be, hello. (laughs) What a sweet moment. All right, Matthew chapter six. We're looking at maturing as a Christ follower, uh, specifically the last two weeks, maturing as a Christ follower, as ones who do not worry, Uh, which would be a huge, radical change for so many to move from a place of anxiety and, and stress to a place of, I am trusting in a heavenly father who is perfectly wise, lovingly good, and remember the third, infinitely able, yeah. Perfectly wise, lovingly good, infinitely able. When I know that about my father, it's irrational then to worry. So that that is how I want us to continue. That's how I want to continue to grow in my own relationship with the Lord, that all that he is would literally, truly set me free from worry. But what we want to do this morning is answer this question. Why did Jesus even address worry now in Matthew 6. What was it that caused him to say, uh, I don't want you to worry? He started this in verse 25. This reason I say you do not be worried about your life. And the passage we've been studying the last two weeks followed that. But here's what caused him to say that. Go back earlier in chapter six, beginning in verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. For this reason, I say to you, do not be worried about your life. See, because it's a paragraph change, we often look at one section, and then we stop, and then we look at the next section. Instead of recognizing that he is saying, for this reason I say, don't be worried about your life because he has just spoken about money. And No accident that one of the things people worry about most in life is is money. Am I gonna have enough? Did I save enough? We're worried about our money. So here's the interplay. Worry, to go back a couple weeks, worry is literally a divided mind. So this, I hope, just what I just read to you goes, oh, he then said, So don't live with a divided mind after he had just said you can't serve two masters. Uh, Worry is a divided mind, and, and Jesus is moved to worry because our mind is often divided between serving God and pursuing wealth. And Jesus says, it's impossible to serve both. You see, does that help you with why he moves to worry? Because for so many of us, worry, the divided mind comes from this tension of, yes, I want to serve the Lord. Yes, I want to have money. (laughs) And I, I can't serve both. Now, he didn't say you can't serve God and be rich. He didn't say that. What did he say? You can't serve both. You can serve God and have a bunch of money. But you can't serve God and serve your money. One, one of the two will rule, he says. One will rule and the other then will be a tool. And it, it always works this way. If If God is ruling in my life, then whatever amount of money the Lord gives me, that is a tool to be used by the one who rules me. Or if I serve money, then God becomes the the tool. Somehow, if I can like twist his, his arm or trick him or get him to give me more he's going to be the tool that i use in my life because money actually serves so what we want to do because cuz either one is going to rule another be the tool we want to look this morning at the the financial basics when god rules what is true about a person's life and what they do with their money when God rules and money is a is a tool. Now, let me say two quick things before we jump in and look at the text. Number one, if you think, is there an offering coming? Are you got like, you're not gonna do a second offering at the end of this? Are you setting us up? I'm not. So if If you're like a little anxious about where this is headed, worried about where it's headed, uh, don't worry about it. I am not, we're not setting you up for a big ask, all right? So, ah, you can no longer regret that you came this morning. Okay, Okay, I'm all right. Second, some of you may be thinking, this is a talk for rich people. I don't have very much. No matter how much you have, he who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. What's Jesus teaching here? <laughs> you want to know, you want to, you, do you want to know how you would live if you like got really rich? You'd live on the same principles that you live on right now. What you do with a little is what you're going to do with a lot. If, if, you, if you use money as a tool with God rolling your heart with a little, that's what will happen when you get a bunch. And if well, I only have a little, so uh, money is rolling because I only have a little, guess what? When you get more zeros, the same is going to be true. So here's what I, what I love about the biblical principles that rule our life when God rules in our finances is they apply no matter how much you make. In fact, as I was reviewing the, this verse, I was reminded that actually as just a little kid, my parents didn't give me an allowance for chores. Chores were part of living in our house, Okay. But they did give me a dollar a week to learn to manage. They gave it to me in change to help uh, facilitate that managing. How many of you were like, yeah, I got, I got that? Really? How many of you got that? Your just hands are way too heavy for this morning. <laughs> really? Wow. Hey, uh, I didn't, wouldn't plan to say this, but if you have young kids, don't give them an allowance. For chores, that's part of being part of the family, but give them some money to learn to manage because when they get a little bit, now some of your kids are like, yeah, listen to the preacher, mom, dad, <laughs> finally saying something worthwhile. You ought to give them a little to learn to manage because what you do with a little is what you're going to do with a lot. All right, now. No offering coming and no amount too small to learn these principles. Here's the most important one. It says in 1 Chronicles 29, yours, and it's worded a little funny, so you got to track with me. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth is what? Yours. Just the way it's worded, sometimes you can get in, and you're like, oh, what's he saying? He is saying that everything is the Lord's. Yours is the dominion, O Lord, and you exalt yourself as head over all. The most important, and you'll see this unfold as we work through the scriptures, the most important financial basic is God actually owns everything. He owns everything. And he goes on to say, next verse in 1 Chronicles, both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all, because all of it is his. So God owns everything, and anything that I actually do have, whether it's a little pile or a big pile, Everything I actually have was given to me by God. But don't miss this. It's given to me by God, but it's still, it's still his, which makes me a steward. Or what's a more word that if you didn't go to church, what would you say? A, a manager, right? There's, if you go growing up in church, you probably heard biblical stewardship, but we don't really use stewardship outside of church. But there is a manager. You understand. Some of you have managers. And you gave them money to invest. But you're still really clear. Whose money is it? It's mine. Okay. I'm giving it you to manage. And if they managed. Like, oh. Well, no, you gave it to me. And it became theirs you'd want them thrown in jail. That's called fraud. They can't take your money. Uh, This this is absolutely the most, and you may go, yeah, I know, I know, I know, but we gotta work this out because though we may think we know this, we often are very easy to move from, I know it's the Lord's mine. So let me... Uh, I have limitations. I'm going to, this represents everything that God owns, which obviously he owns a lot more than this. (laughs) But this is to represent everything that God owns. And we get different size containers but to each one of us, Lord has given for us to do what manage. to manage you go, no, no, Lord, give me some more, <laughs> yes, yes, so the, the Lord different ones gives more, and you go, yeah it's the Lord gave it to me it's it's mine that's how it we would typically think. And then you come to church and they go, oh, no, 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 no. There's this thing called a tithe. And the tithe is supposed to be 10%. That feels a little excessive, so let's talk about it. Okay. Yeah, I mean, the Lord owns everything. He doesn't really need mine. See, we'll unpack this in a bit, but uh, what's the problem with this picture here? Even if you go, no, 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 I'm a true tither. What's the problem with this picture? (laughs) So often we think about money this way. There's God's. He got his 10%, and then the rest is is mine. And the scripture that is the most foundational for our understanding is that No, God doesn't get 10%. And some of you are like, seriously? This is getting better and better, this sermon. God doesn't get 10%? No. He gets 100%. You stayed just 10 seconds too long in the sermon. (laughs) And this pivot right here, friends. This, this one right here, from mine to God's, is the most difficult, crucial, transformational pivot in our lives right here. The, this is why, one of the reasons why, We don't teach tithing here at CFC. A bigger reason is there's no command to any church in the New Testament to tithe, which is a fairly significant statement. But did you know that? In no letter in the New Testament to a church is there ever a command to tithe. To give, but not to to tithe. And at core, the problem with tithing is... It creates this mindset that once I give God his 10%, the other 90% is mine. So the most transformational thing for us to happen in my heart is to move from this to this, right? And can that happen in the same day? <laughs> can you agree with me this morning and then this evening, get back to it, uh, it's mine. <laughs> and that, oh, I know, I know. It's, and this, this is the pivot of our heart. This is why it is so essential that we begin Chronicles 29 that everything belongs to the Lord and what he chooses to give me and he may give, he has demonstrated to give different ones of us different amounts. Whatever he chooses is his and it is my role to, to, to manage. And so my managing comes about in three basic Commitments. I manage by how I spend, I manage by how I save, and then I manage by how I share. Whatever God's given me, these are the three aspects of how I manage God's money. And again, most, most important, we're accountable. For what? Well, we're accountable for what we share, <laughs> and save, and spend. See, once again, do you hear? When we think of tithing and mine, I'm only accountable to for what I share. Because I think, well, hey, okay, I gave God his tax; the rest is mine. But when I see my finances biblically, I realize I'm accountable for what? For everything I spend. That that, that can be frightening to people. What? I'm going to give an account to the Lord for what I spend? I thought once I paid my God tax, I was free. (laughs) I'm accountable for what I spend and for what I save and for what I share. Makes sense? It makes sense if we get this pivot right, that I'm a manager. And if I'm a manager and it's God's money, then I am accountable for every dollar. I'm accountable every time I go and get myself a coffee. I'm accountable every time I choose to write a check to invest in this Jesus film. Product. I'm accountable for all of it to the Lord because it is his money. Now, I know I've spent a long time here, but this is the most pivotal change. This is what will determine how I handle my money. Do I believe it's God's or do I believe it's mine? And the scripture says, he owns everything. Everything I have is given to me by God for me to manage. So, as a manager of God's money and he rolls. Not money. Money becomes the the tool. God rules, and money is the tool. My spending is necessary. I have to spend. I live in a world that costs, but I can spend wisely. Uh, Make it your ambition, Thessalonians 4 says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands, just as we commanded you so that you will behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need. So a core biblical principle is that as God has given us opportunity to work, we should work in a manner to pay our bills so that we're not, What? in any need. So not not super hard to understand here, but important to understand, we always think about, oh, my manager is how much I give. No, it starts with how much I I spend. And I, I, I have to understand that it's God's will, not just for me to share, it's God's will for me to actually pay my bills. So therefore... I should spend less than what I earn. Isn't that deep and rich? It it almost sounds silly to have to say, you should spend less than what you earn. But that is, as you know, that's so far from the American way. What's the American way? They They simply move this over. Right? Everything that I have is for is for spending. And what I don't have, which is why we have so much debt, because not only do we not spend less than what we earn, we we borrow money so we can spend more than what we earn. God's managers spend wisely. But it goes beyond even getting a balanced budget, if you will. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he'll have something to to share with one who has need. So in other words, if you're like, oh, wow, this is... I know, I know, you're just reminding me, I've got to get my spending down to match my earning. Actually, the scripture says, you don't need to just get it down to match your earning, you need to get your spending below your earning so that you have something to be able to to share. So actually, and we'll unpack this more, my spending need biblically, my spending needs to leave room for saving and for sharing. So it's not just getting to a my spending down equal. It's got to be less so that I actually can pay my bills and help people who, for reasons that they cannot pay theirs, we can help them. All right? And there's a third, maybe this is most important. Let me connect the verses that sometimes get disconnected in Matthew 6. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Why? Because we know what's coming next. What's he say next? Because it's going to rust, rot, or get ripped off. Okay? There is depreciation. If you, if you, store up treasures on earth, they're all gonna fade away. And so that's not wise, but here's a deeper reason. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Again, sometimes because the verses in between, we get... We get lost in the fact that, that God is not, watch, God is not saying, hey, I want my people to not have anything so they'll really look forward to heaven. <laughs> What's he saying? He's saying, I love you and I don't want you to attach your heart to stuff that will never satisfy You see, God is not denying you something by saying, don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth. He's not denying you. He is protecting you. He is loving you. Because I'm sure we have testimonies in the room that that you have sought after stuff, and then the stuff didn't satisfy. It left you empty, and you went, money ruled my life. And it's a cruel ruler. Because it attaches my heart to stuff that won't satisfy. I think, I think people are nervous about talking in money talking about money in church because there's this thought of they want something from us. And here's what I hope you hear very clearly this morning. I want something for you. I want something for you. For your heart to be able to know the fullness of joy in being wise in my spending so that my heart doesn't get attached to stuff that will leave me empty. That's a great gift. I want something for you, not something from you. And what Jesus is simply helping us here is to understand. I spend wisely because I don't want to spend in a way that attaches my heart to treasure that really isn't treasure. Think about that word. If it's depreciating, if it's fading, if it's rusting, it's not treasure. (laughs) So, this is the Lord wanting something for us, not wanting something from us. Beware! Be on your guard against every form of greed. Not even when has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. See, that's a, that's a that's not a, not a deny you of good things. That is a protect you from things of creating a full life that, of stuff that never satisfies. So we spend we pay our bills. We spend wisely. Now, there may be some different thoughts, feelings going around as you're listening. Some of you are like, yeah, I am tired of debt, and I am tired of the money fights, and I feel that debt is a thief robbing me of the future. This is why, because all those things really are true. This is why, as Tracy mentioned earlier, that we are doing FPU starting February 7th because Financial Peace University, I don't know if, how many of you have participated in FPU? Okay. Uh, You're you're very reluctant this morning. Okay. Even over in South. Go ahead, put your hand up. Yeah, let me see. And here's, keep it up for a moment because these would be folks who you might ask if you have a a question. Uh, I led our family group of newly marrieds through it this past year. And I was so grateful for the foundational practices that it established, that it has the potential to establish in a person's life. You can, you can only works if you apply it, uh, but it's so helpful in avoiding getting into this hole of debt that then you feel like you can't get out of. Now, some of you are going, I've already dug the hole. I'm in it. Uh, The reason it's been so popular is for this simple reason. It's helped people learn how to get out of the hole of debt. Because when I'm stuck in a hole of debt and my spending is out of control, I cannot be a good manager of God's resources. Why? Because there's nothing left. And so this will, FPU, super at helping people get their spending under control and to get out of debt so they can actually begin to spend, save, and share. A nice bonus is that As a church, we can offer it for $45. It's more than that if you just go out there and try and take it on your own. So I want to encourage you, if you don't have to be in financial ruin to take FPU. Any young person getting married, starting out, you've moved from an allowance to now you actually have an income. It'll help you establish good practices that will serve the rest of your life. I'm grateful that I was helped by other wise people to make some good decisions in the first three years of our marriage, Jackie and I, that we still reap the benefit of those. Because you can dig a hole in a hurry and get stuck for a long time. So, if you're stuck, I hope you will. And if you're not stuck, I encourage you. Maybe you want to invite somebody else to it, which is always a little risky. Hey, you could really use FPU. So, you know, I got to navigate that one. <laughs> All right, spend wisely. God's managers, the scripture says, save responsibly. Saving actually is a biblical principle. Some perceive saving as not, it's not trusting in the Lord, but saving is a biblical principle. Proverbs clearly says, "'Go to the ant, O sluggard, observe her ways and be wise, "'which, having no chief officer or ruler, "'prepares her food in the summer "'and gathers her provision in the harvest.'" No one was making the ant do this. The ant was doing this for a simple reason. Why was the ant doing what the ant was doing? Because what? What was coming? Winter was coming. Saving responsibly. The, The biblical principle is simply, I save actually because I know expenses are coming. You know expenses are coming. That that car you're driving won't last forever. And people are like, "What? I man, I had to, what? I had to get a new roof." Like there was this idea, roofs last forever. <laughs> that's sh- that's not a surprise expense. Now I know some of you are like, Ugh. "That's a, your air conditioner units. They break. Usually when it's hundred, but they break." go to the ant recognize expenses are coming and if you're living in a manner where you are using every bit of rice in your spending there's nothing to save you you're missing what the ant could figure out expenses are coming There's precious treasure and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man just swallows it up. There's there's no sense of, if I have it, I'm going to spend it. It just burns a hole in my No, I have it, and I have it to pay my bills, but I don't swallow it all up. I save it. Why? Because I know expenses are coming, but I also know I don't know all the expenses that are coming. You see what I'm saying? You save because you know some expenses are coming and you have to save because you don't know all the expenses that are coming. Bible is actually very, very practical and helpful if we just look at the truth that it gives to us. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on what? The uncertainty of riches. Why do we save? One of the reasons we save is because I don't know what I'm going to, I do know some expenses are coming. I don't know all the expenses that are coming. And I save because future income is not guaranteed. What you make this year, hey, you'd like to make more next year. You might make less. Now let let me go back. There's a danger in saving. What's the danger in saving? (laughs) That I fix my hope on my Savings and not on the Lord. See, there's this there's this biblical tension that we need to learn to live within. I should responsibly save because of the reality of expenses and income, but I have to beware. I I I'm speaking for myself right now. I growing up Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. Growing up in the home that I grew up in, we spent very, very wisely and saved really, really, really generously. And this is a hard issue. Because if you come up to me and ask me, well, what's the right amount to save? can't give you an, a right amount to save. Dave Ramsey thinks he can. I can't give you what the right amount to save. What I can say to you is this: save with the understanding of expenses. but if you find your heart trusting in your savings, you're saving too much. And you might have to take some of that rice that you've poured into here and really, as an act of faith in God, share a little bit more. As a reflection of dependence upon Him. Save, to not save is irresponsible but we don't save to the point that we trust in our savings. All right, share generously. This is the third of the adverbs. When we spend, we should spend wisely. Less than what we make. When we save, we should save responsibility. And when we share, we should share generously. This, we're going to spend... These last minutes in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. So I invite you to turn there with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Join me in verse 6. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 6. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has Purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. See, I love what Paul is declaring here. To the Corinthians is they are considering how they would share with others who were in need. And this is specifically sharing with other believers who didn't have what they needed, not because they were lazy and had not been working, but because they were being persecuted for their faith and their goods had been robbed from them and taken from them. They didn't have what they needed to survive. And so churches were giving in order out of their abundance to be able to help those who lacked. And he says this, God is able to make all grace abound to you as you consider, consider your sharing so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you'll have an abundance for every good deed. That's he saying. Greed, love of stuff can definitely keep us from our sharing because we spend so much. But you know what else can keep us from sharing? Our fear that we won't have enough. And so our spending doesn't keep us from sharing our. Saving keeps us from sharing. And what Paul is simply declaring to them is, as you consider your sharing, you can trust God (laughs) having all sufficiency. You can trust God in your sharing with his providing for your Needs. I share because God's blessing, the abundance, is not <laughs> so I can increase my lifestyle only. It gives me abundance. He richly supplies us all things to enjoy. He he gives me abundance so that I can bless others as he has blessed me. So how much do I share? Each one must do just as he has purposed in his own heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. See, this is actually in the direct opposition to the whole concept of tithing. And by, by the way, I'm not saying that tithing is wrong. Just saying that's not what the New Testament teaches. And it can have a very negative effect of turning God's stuff into my stuff. But the scripture says, not everybody give 10%. What's it say? Purpose in your heart as God has blessed you. How do you want to bless others? As God has blessed you? How do you want to bless others? And as God has blessed you, how do you want to? You get to purpose in your own heart. As a manager of God's resources, I really do. I get to go, I can do this cheerfully because the Lord allowed me to give according to how I purposed in my heart. Uh, The reason it's so hard to tithe cheerfully is because it was just a tax, and I, I very seldom meet people who lo, who are really cheerful about their taxes. I love paying my taxes. Now, every once in a while, I get people who go, "No, I, I'm grateful for what I have in my country. I'm happy to pay the bill for it." I can appreciate that perspective. I'm certainly not down on the on that reality. But there is some freedom. You would enjoy it more if you got to decide how much you wanted to pay in taxes, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? Oh, uh, yeah. The joy in giving is that God's giving you the, the privilege to go. I want to, as a manager of His thing, I want to purpose in my own heart how I want to bless. And as you purpose in your own heart, how you're going to share. Share because abundance is for the opportunity to bless others. And I share as I purpose in my heart. As I do that, here's what he continues to say in verse 10. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in everything for all liberality. Now, I read that fast. Don't miss this. He says... Three times the same principle. Last, the previous verse was an abundance for every good deed. And these verses multiply your seed for sowing and enriched for all liberality. See, this text stolen by what some have called the prosperity gospel, this idea that if you will share, then God will give you more to do what with? Yes. So we go, yeah, if I give some more there, then God give me more here so that I can tend more. And that's not at all what the text says. Three times it says what? For every good deed, for sowing, and for all liberality. Is there a promise here? Yeah. What's the promise? As a manager, and I give... What's God give? Sorry, Matt, this is going to be a little bit of a mess to clean up. (laughs) What's, What's God do? He says... I'm going to multiply seed. For what? (laughs) For more sharing. God's a smart farmer. Seriously. He says, if you're going to take the seed that I give you to manage, and you're going to eat it or store it instead of sow it, I'm not going to give you very much seed. Because that's not why I gave you seed. I gave you seed for for sowing. But if you'll take the seed and you'll sow it, and that sowing results in a harvest, then I'm like, that's the guy I want to give my seed to. That's That's just common sense. But somehow it's been flipped upside down, and we think, oh, God's gonna give me a bunch for me. He, he gives seed to sowers. So understand, I share because He's blessed me. I share as I purpose in my own heart, but I share generously when I recognize that generosity increases opportunity for. More generosity. This is the thrilling part of giving, where there is generosity. God promises. This is not my idea. This is not a scheme. God says, I will give to those who give generously for more giving. I give seed to sowers. I multiply seed for every good deed. I enrich for all liberality. Yes, he does. Let's not shrink back from it. He gives seed to sowers. Not only because he's a a smart farmer, but watch. Which through us is producing thanksgiving to God for the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. You tracking? You see... The reason that God gives seed to sowers is because when sowers spread their seed instead of hoarding their seed or eating their seed, then they're meeting the needs of others. They're becoming the instruments through which God provides. And when that happens, when you have a need and God provides it, what do you do? Thank you, Lord. And the more seed that gets sown, the more needs that get met, and the more praise that happens. And, and don't take this the wrong way. God loves praise. God loves His name to be praised. God loves for worship to fill the earth because He's worthy of it. And generosity multiplies it. It's the double win. It meets the needs that give praise to God. I love that. When I give, I give because not only does it give me opportunity for even more generosity, it gives great praise to God. So this might seem a little unusual. But I'm going to ask Matt to come on up. And I'm going to ask Matt to sing the song over you, The Lord Bless You. Why? Why? (laughs) So that you'll bless others. And when you bless others, what will happen? they'll give thanks to God, right? Hey, did we just not hear it this morning? There are six language groups on the planet who are giving thanks to a savior, Jesus, because of your generosity to a Jesus film. Awesome. Yes, right. Hey, Deborah, welcome. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Do you, do you get what happened? Language groups praising God because of generosity. Think of our red to green. Because of your generosity, a thousand churches gather now and part of their gathering they give praise to God in the name of Jesus because now those who didn't know of a savior have heard of a savior. Your generosity is doing exi- this is the Bible in action. Your generosity causing overflowing thanksgiving to God. Spend wisely. And save responsibly so you can, so you can share generously. And the Lord bless you. To bless others. Let's stand together. The
1: Lord bless you. His face shine upon you, be gracious to you Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace All right, I invite you to sing let's sing this together Lord bless us face shine upon us. Be gracious to us. Lord, turn your face toward shine upon us and be gracious to us. Lord, turn your face toward us and give us peace. Yes, Lord, we thank you for these moments to open your word and see your heart, to see that you are one who blesses those who bless others. So, Lord, if that's a, a heart that needs to be changed in me, Lord, I invite that. And there would be tangible ways this week that I would see you. The things that you've given me is 100% yours. Lord, do you allow me to be generous in my sharing, that you would get much praise, praise that you deserve. Thank you, Lord, for how you generously bless us. In your name, amen. Hey, if we can pray for you in any way, we have men and women between the auditoriums that are there to pray with you. I hope you'll take advantage of that and go pray with them. God bless. We'll see you next time.